This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And we're on Sirius XM 132. I'm Cheryl Coolman. And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we're here to talk with you about all sorts of social impact angles. We do this every week at Thursday from 8 to 10 in the morning. And then we'll replay during other times so you can catch us then. We just finished a discussion about teaching matters, about education, and a model that sort of really works to help uh, improve teaching at early grades. And now we're going to shift to to sort of a big-picture kind of approach. We're going to talk to Meg Voorhees, who's the Director of Research at USCIF. Um, Every other year, USCIF puts out a report on on U.S. Sustainable, Responsible, and Impact Investing Trends. The 2018 report was just released, and so we're kind of hot off the press. We're going to talk to Meg, and she's going to fill us in about this. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. My pleasure. It's great to have you here. So why don't you first tell our listeners what USCIF is? Okay. We are the U.S. Association that is um, advancing sustainable, responsible, and impact investing in the United States. And our goal is to rapidly shift investment assets toward a sustainable investment model. And we have a number of programs to do that. We offer um, online and uh, live courses for financial advisors and others on the fundamentals of sustainable and impact investment. We have an annual conference for um, practitioners in the field and people who would like to learn more about the field. We work on policy issues. We um, engage with the SEC, members of Congress. We encourage um, policies that will um, produce more disclosure by corporations on environmental, social, and governance issues. And we have a very robust research program as well, of which this um, 2018 Trends Report is a part. Well, let's dive into that then. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the report, how you collect the information, and then what the report is saying about trends. Sure. So every two years, we basically try to uh, take the temperature of sustainable, responsible, and impact investing in the United States. Um, it's not just a survey. It's really... You know, we we try to do a census, uh, basically, of all the um, institutional asset owners and asset management firms that are engaged in this field. And we are looking for um, assets where the managers are considering environmental, social, and governance criteria in portfolio selection and investment analysis and or um, assets that are engaged in filing shareholder resolutions on environmental, social, and governance issues. And uh, so we send out the survey uh, to hundreds of asset management firms and um, institutional asset owners, such as uh, public retirement systems, insurance companies, foundations, et cetera, educational institutions, and um, we get a pretty good um, response rate, but certainly there are any number of institutions that don't respond to the survey. So, you know, we follow up with research on their filings, the SEC, their annual reports, 990s, their websites, 
and um, try to pull all this uh, information together. So it's it's a major effort. Um, and that's why you okay. do it only every other year. Every other year. And <laughs> right. in fact, a, a colleague who was working on this uh, with me had uh, had a baby um, just before gave birth, just a few days before the report was released. And, and I started thinking that... Um, the baby was probably conceived about the time we started work on this report. It's about a nine-month project, and I think we all feel once we send it off to the printer that it's it's a birth event. So it's it's a major deal welcoming this uh, research baby into the world. <laughs> that, that's so, someday when my child's born, I'll say the same thing. Like, You're a research baby. All right, our own reports. We can think about that exactly. Yes. Um, so Meg, why don't we go take a step? back really fast and and discuss maybe what some of the findings were in 2016 just to to be able to provide a context, context yes. for the trends that we're, we'll talk about here in 2018. Okay. So in 2016, we found about 300 asset management firms, about 477, if I'm remembering correctly, um, institutional asset owners, and about 1,000 community investing institutions that together accounted for $8.7 trillion in sustainable, responsible, and impact investing assets. And I might, from here on in, refer to SRI assets. <laughs> to save It'll save time. And, um, and they represented, that represented about um, 22% of all the uh, U.S. domiciled assets um, under professional management. And, so um, pretty much, what is that? One in five, one, one in, in six, five. yeah, dollars yeah. under management so, touches this, right? So, so that was very exciting, um, indicating that um, you know this is you know really not a niche um, strategy anymore. It's right. definitely gaining a lot of acceptance in the investment world. And so, you know, when I go back to your methodology, it is interesting. I mean, the survey methodology, we can we could talk more about. But in general, even when you said you're going to SEC filings and, and all of that, the challenge in this area is that they're not really required to disclose a lot of this type of information, right? Uh, yes, but I think increasingly um, asset managers realize that it can be a selling point. Mm -hmm. uh, there's certainly... Uh, demand from institutional and retail clients for um, awareness on the part of money managers um, of environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, there's a growing demand for impact investing. Um, so, you know, one of the things we do with our survey is we ask um, money managers that are engaged in these practices why? You know, what are your motivations? And we give them a number of options. And certainly always at the top of the list, they say client demand. But increasingly, we're also, you know, money managers are saying uh, we are doing this to um, maximize returns over time. We're doing this to minimize risk over time. We're doing this um, in order to fulfill our fiduciary duty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think 141 money managers responded to that um, portion of the survey, and together they represented about $4.2 trillion. And I would say about managers representing about almost all of that total, about $4 trillion, talked about risk returns, fiduciary duties. So, you know, what I'm 
hearing from this is money managers are saying this is just good business beginning to be what you do as a good money manager as a steward of other people's investments you look at Yes, and G criteria. Yeah, right. It's it's becoming internalized in a in a far more important way. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, Sirius XM one thirty two. Our phone number is one eight four four Warden eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, and our email is businessradio at siriusxm dot com. Let us know if you have a question or you have a comment. We're talking to Meg Voorhees, who's the director of research at USSIF. And so, Meg, I wanted to pick up on on some of the comments you just talked about. But first, I suppose we should talk about some of the new trends. Right. So, you know, we talked where, about 2016. 2016, sort of the baseline, $8.7 trillion under uh, sort of under professional management that was ESG related or SRI related. Um, what would you say are some of the big key findings of this new report? Okay. Well, we've seen terrific growth. Um, over the last two years. So now the overall total of SRI assets uh, in the U.S. is $12 trillion, up from that $8.7 trillion I mentioned earlier. So that's an increase of 38%. Um, And so this is, you know, outpacing the overall growth in the the financial markets so that um, basically SRI is, is gaining market share and now represents 26%, um, or about a little over one in four dollars of the, I guess, $46.6 trillion of total U.S. assets under professional management. 2016, it was about one in five. So So we've gone from one in five to one in four. And only two years, just again, the timeline we're talking about here. So I'm I'm looking at some of the findings from the report and and pulling out sort of the percent increase in assets affected since 2016 in sort of like these big buckets. So I'm looking at climate change and carbon. I'm looking at conflict risk, human rights, things like that. Can you walk us through some of those findings too? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we survey money managers or, or review um, their, their filings or annual reports, that sort of thing, we you know, are, are looking at how many, you know, what's the value of assets to which they apply certain criteria. So for the money managers, climate change is at the top of the list. Um, it affects at least $3 trillion in assets under management. And I say at least $3 trillion because, you know, a number of money managers just say we look at environmental criteria and they don't give us further detail. Um, but for those who do give us, you know, specific environmental criteria, climate change is definitely at the top of the list. And we saw more than doubling of the assets that are now considered with climate change criteria um, compared with 2016. Um, tobacco, this is, you know, this has been a longstanding um, screen or issue for SRI investors, you know, that obviously tobacco products, when used as directed, are, are damaging to human health. Um, so that's, you know, typically that's been um, a sector or group of companies that are screened out of a lot of SRI portfolios. Um, what we found um, going from 2016 to 2018 is that, um, you know, tobacco restrictions now affect um, 29 trillion dollars in assets, and that is a quintupling since 2016. I think this is... Um, That's significant. Jeez. It is significant, and I actually think that what happened is that screening may 
actually have been going on in 2016, and we weren't getting that detail from asset management firms. A, a lot of large um, investment management firms have been entering the space saying, you know, we, we're, we're looking at ESG issues, and in 2016, you know, we weren't getting a lot of detail from a lot of these newer entrants, and I think now they are reporting um, more. So, you know, I wonder if some of that was, it wasn't reported, but maybe it was going on in, in 2016. Under the radar. Yeah. And so, yeah, Meg, yeah. you know, when you think about whether it's environmental aspects or it's, you know, negative screens on tobacco, you know, thinking about sustainable, responsible, and, and impact investing, the, the trends that you're looking at, do you dig under the hood at all to consider like, okay, tobacco, like we're screening things out potentially, as you mentioned, yeah. but in some of these other areas, maybe it's climate change and carbon or it's conflict risk. Is there any, is it all sort of negative screens or is it more active engagement to change business practices from the money managers? Do you see any of that right. with your survey? We, we don't ask um, specifically on each issue how um, money managers are, are assessing it. We do have a general question about um, how how are these ESG assets um, managed according to what strategies. And so the, the most common strategy now that affects uh, the highest value of assets is what we call ESG integration. That is, asset managers are considering environmental, social, and governance criteria as part of their financial analysis. It's just kind of baked in mm-hmm. uh, to the financial, into the financial analysis. Somewhat behind, but um, still affecting the large, uh, uh, you know, the bulk of ESG assets would be exclusionary screening. So this would be, you know, screening out um, tobacco companies, screening out um, on the conflict risk, you know, screening out companies that are doing business in Sudan or Iran or, or companies that are considered, you know, other companies that are considered sponsors of terrorism or um, having genocidal policies. Um, you know, with some of these issues, um, also in the top, rounding out the top five ESG issues for money managers are, are human rights, um, and transparency and anti-corruption. So I think with human rights, it's probably um, more of an ESG integration approach. Um, you know, you might be reviewing a company's supply chain. Are there issues there? Is it um, if it's a in the extractive industries? How is it dealing with communities around its operations? Um, so, so that might be. And does you that know, also a more subtle, holistic yeah. approach? Yeah. Does that also include um, awareness of the locations where the company is doing business? Do they look at the human rights of the comp- of the corporate of the uh, country as well as what's going on in the corporation, or is that more under kind of conflict risk or elsewhere? You know, it, it could be, and okay. this is um, I I joke. You know, we talked about giving birth to this research baby and everyone wants to relax for a little bit after that. But I also, but I often find interesting issues and I think, hmm, that would be worth a deeper dive. So, you know, I'm often tempted to, you know, follow up with 20 or 30 money managers and say, hmm, tell me how you consider human rights. Um, You know, another interesting issue um, in this era of me too, and this 
wave of women being elected um, in the midterms is, you know, we were we see much um, more activity around equal employment opportunity and diversity. Um, you know, I think a doubling of um, among institutional asset owners. You know, a doubling of the assets that are considered with these criteria. So. Um, that's intriguing to me. You know, I'm interested. In yeah. That. And, um, you know, on the on the gender piece, you know, we actually we just released a report last week called Four for Women, which is a heavily, heavily researched um, report that Catherine Klein, our vice dean and co-host here on Dollars and Change, released. And it really dug into the research and said, what would be a good employer for women? What are the outcomes that you would be looking for potentially as, you know, an executive in the company that you'd be managing but towards? As an but as an in, also as yeah. an investor, what might you want to be tracking um, and so we're really excited about that. That's just a plug for us, but also hopefully for Meg, for you and, you know, the, the U.S. SIF community um, for, for the, you know, money managers that are interested in that. But I also wanted to unpack something that you said in terms of like these big, the five big areas, climate change, carbon, tobacco, conflict risk, human rights, transparency and anti-corruption. Just for our listeners, and you started to you really kind of mentioned it a little bit. So on sort of maybe one end, maybe of the spectrum is like you can screen things out. You can say these don't meet a specific criteria or my values, whatever. I want them out of my portfolio. Then there's a sort of this ESG integration where I think um, there there are new things, and I want to dig into this with you too, is like new innovations, new and better data that you're able to quantify risk, or you think that it will provide, you know, outsized returns if you integrate these types of ESG factors into your investment. And then there's sort of this impact, you know, more intentional, like how do I either improve the practices of companies to make them less harmful or in ma- minimize the negative and maximize the positive, or even invest in companies that I think they're products or services have more positive, impactful outcomes mm-hmm, based on usage. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just sort of give that context for our listeners and also ask, my assumption is innovation, technology, you know, or technology, innovation, and data are driving a lot of this. But what did the report find in that area that's also driving this besides just, quote unquote, client demand? Yeah, I think it's a complex demand, question. <laughs> I think it's uh, the awareness that uh, these ESG Issues can can be material. Um, they can cause reputational risk. You know, we were just talking about, um, you know, your your colleague study. I know McKinsey has uh, done some interesting studies looking at um, gender diversity and also racial and ethnic diversity on on boards and and companies that have more diversity on their boards just perform much better in terms of actually i point of it we we've looked into that and we actually don't find that's true oh, don't you okay yeah so right. I, we've well, talked about then. that on our show a good bit but um okay. we do and, the, and our report goes into that in a little more detail okay okay but I, I think the you know the idea is that you want to have um you know you want to guard against um cronyism on the board and and group think and and um exactly. you know make sure you have a high quality board so i think you know a lot of money managers see um companies that are, you know, thinking about these issues, that is, you know, can be a sign of, um, you know, quality management. And I think one area I'd also like to point out is, you know, there's, you can screen out certain bad performers, you can, you know, maybe if you're using an ESG integration approach, you might underweight certain companies and an actively managed portfolio. But there's also, um, 
you know, shareholder advocacy and engagement, and that's also an important strategy. So we see, um, yeah. you know, about 1.4 trillion, one, excuse me, 1.8 trillion in assets that are, um, you know, of institutions and money managers that are filing shareholder resolutions at companies, trying to nudge them to, you know, improve their disclosure or their practices on various issues. And then also behind the scenes, we, you know, we don't include this in our um, overall tally of, of um, SRI assets, but we do ask um, money managers if they are, you know, having dialogue with portfolio companies behind the scenes, even if they aren't filing shareholder resolutions. And we're definitely seeing an increase in that. Oh, so, that's super interesting. That is yeah, interesting. Yeah. And actually, we know some uh, some of our um, alumni are talking exactly that way about their investments, that they work behind the scenes. So we're going to have to close this segment. We've been talking to Meg Voorhees about the director of research at U.S. SIF. She's just finished this report, and in two years, she'll have another <laughs> another research report. We hope to see the coming. increased growth and in sophistication <laughs> exactly, of the industry. Exactly. So we've been uh, talking with uh, Lynn Guestafero and Sonny Calzi from Teaching Matters, Meg Voorhees, and when we come back, we'll talk to Miles Shaver about uh, headquarters economy. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 132, and we'll be back in a few. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 